You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. You've heard the story of an egg, a clumsy egg with arms and legs. On the wall he sat so tall until he fell on top his head. Down and down and down he goes, no cushion or cloud to soften the blow. What could be his destiny? A fractured skull or broken toe? Indeed, he almost broke in two, his shell in need of tape and glue, feeling sore on the floor, who will make him as good as new? A cry for help went to the king, who sent some men to heal his sting, armed forces on horses, doing their best with what they could bring. No magic, no potion, no friend could stop him from his bitter end. Time to do something new. Just he could make him whole again. Filling his life with lots and lots made him happy, or so he thought. Could it be? Certainly. Fix himself even he could not. We know the tale heard it spoken. None could help him in this poem. But there's one, unlike none, who can fix us when we're broken. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today, continuing the broken series and really looking at people who are broken around us. Um, Obviously, we talked last week about our own brokenness, but we have to remember and realize that there's also broken people around us. And so Luke chapter 10, we'll read uh, through this real quick. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan um, is what it's called, and it begins in verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, trying to make himself right before Jesus, he says to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him, in, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us and your grace in our lives. Thank you for your power. God, today I pray that you would come and stir us up. Uh, Let your word, which is living and active, pierce us deeply. God, challenge us and move us and empower us. And God, just give us the courage to do what you've put before us. 
God, let us evaluate our lives. Let us evaluate our church. Let us evaluate the, the condition of the world. And let our hearts be set on fire for what you desire. God, we love you and we thank you. We, we thank you for the work you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Friday, I was on my way to a meeting. And uh, I'm driving along. And I started feeling kind of woozy. I started feeling a little dizzy. And so I was like, I don't know what's going on. Am I getting sick? And either it was a stomach virus had been going around. And, and I mean, I just really felt like things were kind of spinning a little bit. And so I was like, I don't know what's going on. So I got to the meeting and, and I, I took my glasses off because I'd been reading. I put them on the, the uh, console of my truck and I went into the meeting. I came back out and I didn't want to leave my glasses. So I'm riding down the road. I figured I'd leave them in my truck. So I went ahead and put them back on and I started getting woozy. I started feeling kind of sick again. And, and I'm riding along and, and just things don't feel right, you know. Um, and, and, and I'm thinking, man, I'm coming down with something. Something's going on. I am crazy. Um, and so uh, just, just not sure what was happening. And then I felt something kind of funny on my face and I looked and pulled my glasses off. And I realized there was only one lens in my glasses. And so I'm riding along, and, and I'm, I don't even have a lens in this side. And so what it was happening is it was throwing my vision off. It was making me um, see, you know, out of one eye differently than the other. And so I completely uh, was, was getting dizzy, um, getting nauseated, I mean, all of this. And so I just felt like something was really wrong. I was thinking about that in regards to the message today and thinking about how I feel like that's what's happened in the church, uh, in the big C church, the church, the, 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 especially the American church, is I feel like we've lost our perspective. I feel like we're not seeing things clearly. I feel like it's almost as though we've, we've got one eye shut or we're not seeing clearly out of one eye where we've, we've put our eyes on something other than what God's called us to be and called us to do. And, and my fear in this is that we would get to that place uh, as a church where we no longer look to the cries of those who are on the outside because the cries on the inside have become so loud. That it becomes about us and it becomes about what we want and our desires and it's no longer about reaching the people who are lost around us. The very first verse in this text tells us that, that this lawyer, um, he would have been a, an expert in the scripture, an expert in the law and expected to teach other people the law. Um, this lawyer stood up to put him to the test and asked him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? When I read that again this week, it made me think about the fact that people today are still asking this question. What do I need to do to find eternal life? People are really asking that question and not just what do I do to find eternal life, but what do I do to find life in general? What do I do to find, find some peace in my life? What do I do when everything's falling down around me? Where do I go? And see, us as the church, we have that answer we know where to point people. We know what to tell people. But are we doing that? The Bible says that this man who was robbed, this, this man who was going along the road who was, who was robbed, it says, one, that he was stripped. I thought about that. How humiliating to be laying on the side of the road naked. It's such a loss of dignity and self-respect. And the thing that we have to see as people today with the world around us is people have no self-respect. They don't realize their worth to God. They don't realize their purpose for God. It's a broken world as we're talking about this broken series. People are broken everywhere. The Bible says that he was beaten. People around us are beaten down by life. 
They're looking for something that can help them, something that, 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 that gives them meaning and purpose. And we have that answer, but are we giving it to them? The Bible says that in this, he was, the, the, the men just departed. They left him. He was alone. How many people around us feel alone and betrayed, feel hurt and wounded? And we, we look at them day in and day out, but are we doing anything to resolve that? It says in there that he was half dead. See, the thing we need to realize is that people who are apart from Christ are all dead. They're spiritually, they're not alive. They're spiritually, they, they've never come to a place of being alive in Christ. And this world around us is broken, but what are we doing about it? Verse 26 through 28, the, the Jesus turns the question around and he says, well, what's written in the law? You're an expert in the law. What's written in the law? What does it say? You ought to know the answer to that question. And he says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells him, you've answered it correctly. Now do this and you'll live. And the thing that we have to see is that if we're going to love a broken world around us, it begins when we have an all-encompassing love for God. That's where it starts. It starts when, when God has all of us. It says that he should have our heart, which is basically the seat of our emotions or our affections. Does God have your affections? Or are we sitting here today and our heart is everywhere but on God? It's everywhere but on Christ. Are we here today because we love God? Are we here today just because it's something we have to do? Why are you sitting here today? Is it to come in and celebrate the, 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 the greatness of God? And, and to, to be a part of the body of Christ? Or are we here just because it's something that we feel we need to do or we have to do? Does God have your affections? It says that he should have our mind, our intellect, our understanding, our thoughts, that our mind should be being transformed to think like God thinks, to see as God sees. Is your mind being transformed? Are we, are we being transformed through the reading of his word and through our worship of him? It says that our soul should love God. That's the very existence that we have. It's our very being. The whole of who we are. Is do we love him that way? With our very being. Does he have our heart, our mind, our soul? And is our strength, our energy, our vitality, all of that going to serve him wherever we are? Or is it just something that he gets the leftovers? Because many times in our lives, what ends up happening is we just kind of give everything else, most of who we are, and God gets a little bit of what's left. And we've got to come and see this, that if we're going to love a broken world, it starts by loving God. So the thing we have to evaluate is, do I love him? Do I care? Do I have any affection for Christ? Have my affections grown cold? Do I need to, to press into God so that that can be heated up? Do I need to stir up the spirit in me through his word and through prayer and through worship and through serving and through community so that that becomes alive in me again? Or am I just going to go through the motions? Because here's the thing. The lawyer knew what to do. He knew the answer. But there is a great difference in knowing what to do and doing it. But it starts with our love for him. It starts when we actually 
love the God we say we love? Do we love him? Verse 29, the lawyer realizes, this man realizes that he's, he's stuck. He realizes the, the weight of those, those laws, and he realizes that Jesus has given him something intense to do. And it says in verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself, in other words, trying to make himself right with, with Jesus, to try to make himself right with God, to show that he's good enough, to show that he is okay because of what he's done. He says, and who is my neighbor? And so in Jewish um, history, it had been taught that your neighbor is fellow Jews or converts to Judaism. And this man's thinking, well, this is what I do for a living. This is what my job is. I always treat other people like me um, as though they're neighbors. I always treat them the way that they should be treated. And he's trying to lower the standard of God to make himself look better. And I think that happens all the time in church. That we lower God's standards so that we feel better about who we are. When the reality of it is that God sets the bar, not us. We often look at culture around us and we feel better about us. We never compare ourselves to someone who is better than us. We always compare ourselves to someone who's worse than us. Why? Because it allows us to feel better about us. I might not be perfect, but at least I don't do blank. Look at that loser, right? And so we tend to lower God's standards to make ourselves feel better. This man is also trying to, 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 to show that I'm okay because of my knowledge. I'm okay because of the things that I've done. My status gives me um, a rightness that no one else has. And how many times for us does church just become a status symbol? It becomes something that we go to so that we can be seen. It becomes something that we go to because it helps business. It becomes something that we go to so that when people see me in the community, they think good about me. They think, look at him. He's a good guy. Here's the problem with that. Good guys go to hell. Only people who put faith in Christ spend eternity in heaven. And here's the question, are you a good guy? Are you a good girl? Are you a follower of Christ? Have you trusted Jesus with your eternity? Have you given him all of you? Does he have your affections? Is he the seed of emotions in your life? Does he drive you? I'm not asking you, are you perfect? None of us are perfect. None of us have got this down. None of us have arrived. But the reality of it is that there's a difference in saying, I'm not perfect. Oh, well, there's a difference in saying, I'm not perfect and I can just go about my own business. And there's a difference in saying, I'm not perfect, but I truly love God. And that is my heart. That's my heart. He has my heart. And so we have to see that there's a difference. See, this is a man who's supposed to be helping other people come to know God. He's a man who's supposed to be teaching other people the truth. And my, my, my thing with this is many times we find ourselves as the church in this. We're supposed to be leading people closer to godliness when many times the world around us is leading us further away from godliness. 
It's leading us further away from him. And see, I want you to understand this. This is why we started this church, is so that there would be a place where people who were far from God could come in and see a group of people who were very different. We started this church to reach the least of these, to be people who could show people the truth, to reach people who were far from God, to invite people in who no one else wanted. That's why we started this church. That's what we've been about, and that's what we're always going Going to be about. This will not be a country club for people to come in and look good and look pretty. This will always be a place where sinners can come in and hear the gospel and come to Christ and be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and just to be frank, just to put it all out there, here's the reality. If you don't like that, if that's not something that makes your heart beat a little faster, then just to, just to be honest, and, and the most loving thing I feel like I can tell you is that this is probably not the church for you. It's probably not. And the thing that I want you to do is I want you to find the place it is. Because the reality of it is that, that we're going to go after those who are far from God. And you are called to be a part of that whether it's in this church or another church, you're called to be a part of that. And, and I want to ask you real quickly, they took a bunch of my time today, um, and so I want to ask you real quickly a few questions that have been troubling me that came to me out of this text. They've been troubling me, now I want them to trouble you, okay? Um, and so I'm going to pass these along to you. Verse 30 says this, that Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So this is a, just a man. The Bible doesn't tell us his identity. The Bible doesn't tell us who he was. The Bible doesn't tell us if he was rich or poor. The Bible doesn't tell us his sexual orientation. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about his past. The Bible doesn't tell us about his pedigree. The Bible doesn't tell us who his mom and daddy were. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about this guy. Was he a nice guy? Was he good looking? Was he ugly? What did he look like? Was he skinny? Was he tall? Was he, what, did, what was this guy like? What was his personality like? Was he nice? Was he mean? That we don't know anything about this guy, and, and, but, but the Bible the Bible just tells us that he was a man. The first question I want to ask you is this, is how far should God's love reach? Because we see this Samaritan come to this man, a man who was in trouble, a man who was broken, a man who was in need. But he doesn't tell us a lot of specifics about this man. And see, that's the point. The point is that we don't know much about this person. We don't know much about his history. We don't know if this guy was a drunkard, a boozer. We don't know if this guy was, had been addicted to drugs or if he was currently on drugs. We don't know if this guy was a believer. Was he an atheist? What did he believe? We, we, we don't know what kind of Bible he carried or, or what, what version he read. We don't know if he was Calvinist or Arminian. We don't know all of these things, right? But all we know is that he was a man. And in God's eyes, that is enough to offer him the love of God because he may be obscure in this scripture, but he was not obscure to God. He was a person in need of a miracle. He was a person in need of someone to come along and take care of him, to love him, to care for him. 
And, and, and the only thing that we know is that these people hearing this parable would have assumed that this man was Jewish. Because they're hearing this is who he's talking to. And this makes this story even more remarkable. Because Jesus says that it's a Samaritan who comes and helps him. And Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They hated each other with a passion. But see, when you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your strength, what begins to happen is it pushes you past your prejudices and the boundaries that the church has erected for all of these years. And it begins to make you love people who are very different than yourself. So love begins to move us beyond all of these stereotypes and all of these things so that we come to a place where we're willing to pursue those that God loves. And just a man, a man made in the image of God, a man that God cares about, a man that is not obscure to him, may be obscure to us, but someone who matters to God so much so that he gave his best, he gave his one and only, he gave his son that he could take our sin so that we could come to life in him. That's what we're called to do. Verse 31 and 32. And so, so listen, let that sink in. How far should God's love reach? Well, how, 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 how long is God's arm of salvation to grab hold of sinners and bring them to salvation? If it was long enough to grab you and me, it's long enough to grab anybody. Verse 31 and 32 now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The second question I thought of when I read those verses is, are we just becoming religious? Are we just religious? And let me define religion for you real quick. It's having rules without a relationship. It's having rules to follow, but no relationship with Jesus so that your Christian life is just a burden. It doesn't bring life. And are we just becoming like that as a church? Because the thing I'm not okay with is just us becoming churchy. For us just to, just to, to be a people who gather and then we come in and we pat each other on the back and then we walk out, we break the holy huddle and we just go about our own way. See, church is not something that you come to. Church is something that you belong to. It's a part of your life. It's the life of Christ living in you. And we need to ask ourselves, are we just becoming religion, religious? And here's the thing, this priest and this Levite, it says they were on the same road. They were on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. So here's the thing. They were either going to Jerusalem or coming from Jerusalem. That means they were either going to the place of worship or they were coming from the place of worship. Here's the crazy thing about it. They're coming from or going to the place of worship, which is Jerusalem, and they don't even have a heart for God to help someone who's broken. And how many times is that our life? That we go to and we go from, maybe one out of three Sundays, one out of four Sundays, whatever it might be, but we don't have a heart for God. He doesn't have our heart, our soul, our mind, or our strength. Are we just religious? Are we just going through the motions? Has it become about us? Has it become about our comfort? Has it become about our wants? Has it become about 
my own needs? Have the voices on the inside, now that we're at 13, 14, 1500 people, have we allowed those voices on the inside to become so loud? I want, I want, I want, I want. I don't like, I don't like, I don't like, I don't like. I don't think you should. I don't think you should. I don't think you should. Have we allowed those voices to get us off track? Have we allowed the naysayers and those people who try to take away from the vision of God to get us off track? I feel that pressure. I feel people trying to pull us away. But we've got to stay the course. We've got to do what God's called us to do, not to fall victim to to, to someone else's plan, to be pulled away by Satan, to be taken and have our eyes removed, to be living our life as though we have one eye or one lens in and one out, out, confused and disoriented and just kind of going in circles. But we're called to be people who are alive. See, these priests and these Levites, they're just priests and Levites, their worship wasn't transformational. It wasn't changing them. It was just religion for them. It was just something they had to do. It was just emotions they had to go through. It wasn't transformational. And if our worship, our Bible reading, our life, our community, our prayer, all of those things aren't changing us, it's because our worship has not been focused or centered on Christ. It's because we've made it about something else. And for many of us, the person that we've put in the center of our worship is me it's me and we've got to recognize that and understand that and say you know what this is not about me this is about Christ I'm going to put him back at the center this world doesn't revolve around me it revolves around him and I'm going to worship him I I know for many years um, I've, I've been going to the gym I've been running I've been doing different types of exercise And the funny thing about it is I always thought about this. Whenever I would walk into the gym and walk out, I always thought that they must look at me and think, does he do anything when he's here? Because, like, I never changed, right? I I never got bigger. I never got, like, leaner. I never got ripped. I, I, you know, it was just kind of like, and then walk back out, right? And, and, and I never really changed anything, never changed. And then, you know, the reason for that is I'm no dummy. I know why. It's because of what I eat, right? It's like if I have a choice between a six-pack and French fries, I'm taking French fries every day. It's just the way I am. Cake or, you know, like, like brown and ripped, I'm going brown cake over brown and ripped every day because I love to eat. I love food. And so, you know, there's no change. And, 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 and then I thought about this. The problem for me was that what was going on inside of me wouldn't allow change on the outside to be seen. And many times that's what happens in our Christian life is there's nothing happening on the inside so that our behavior, our, our behavior modification becomes the point. What's going on on the outside is our point and our focus. So all we do is try to deal with that because God's not doing anything on the inside. But the way that God wants to work is from the inside out, that he has our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength. He has all of us. And so he's working from the inside to change the outside. But is our worship transformational? Is it something that is coming from our heart? Is it something that we're giving ourselves to? Is he someone we're giving ourselves to? Or is it just something that we're going through the motion? See, many times we walk in and out of the church week after week and no transformation is happening. It's why we can go uh, to church all of our lives and still be racist. It's why we can go to church all of our lives and still be a womanizer, objectifying women. It's why we can go to church all of our lives and still be greedy, selfish, 
self-centered, self-focused, a gossip. It's why we can go to church all of our lives and just stay the same. It's because we haven't given ourselves to Him. We've just tried to do a few things to make ourselves right with Him. The third question out of verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. It says in verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Third question is this, are we broken for the broken? Are we broken for the broken? See, the Samaritan was moved. And when our heart is on fire for God, our hearts are moved for what moves God's heart. When we love Him, our hearts are moved for what moves Him. See, the the real test of love is not our profession, it is our action. The real test of love is, what what do I do? just what do I say can people tell listen people tell we love God in fact the fourth question out of verse 36 Jesus says which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers the fourth question that I had to wrestle with is are we distinguishable are we distinguishable can people tell we love God when people walk into this church, do they still feel the love of God? See, this should be a place of excitement because we are coming to worship a holy God. We're coming to worship a God who has made us right with Him. We're coming to worship a God who has given us what we can never earn on our own. He's given us salvation through Christ. This should be a place of, of warmth. That when people walk in, their comment is that they feel like they were home. They felt welcome. See, it doesn't matter how big the church is. It's the attitude of the church that determines the environment. Is it a place where people come and they feel like they can belong? Let me ask you this question. Who are you inviting? If we're broken for the broken... And we're distinguishable where the people can feel the love of God. Who are you bringing? Who are you investing in? When's the last time you brought someone with you to hear the gospel, to hear the good news of Christ, to hear that there is a God who can transform their lives? who see it in you because it's distinguishable and then come to a place where they say, yeah, I'd like to know more about that. The last one, the man says this, he says, the one who showed him mercy. So even this man is able to recognize the one who was the neighbor. He may not have liked it. He recognizes God's love in the Samaritan, not in the priest and the Levite. It says, and Jesus said to him, you go and do Likewise, The last thing I thought of and the question I had to ask myself is, are we dependent on God? Because see, Jesus gives him a task that is impossible. It's impossible in two ways. 
Number one, he tells him to go and do likewise. This man is trying to justify himself, make himself right with God, which is something that you and I can never do on our own. It's something that we can't possibly do. It's the point of Christ's coming. If we can make ourselves right on our own, then Jesus died and took the wrath of God on the cross for nothing. And so he's telling him, you go and do likewise. You think you can justify yourself and make yourself right? You go. And he's given him an impossible task in justifying himself. He's also given him an impossible task in loving others the way God loves them. Because it's only through God that we're able to do that. It's only through the power of God's spirit working in us that we can love others. That we can see others the way God sees them. And here's the thing I would ask you. This, this is kind of a funny story. Uh, on on uh, Sunday, last Sunday, if you were here, the third of you who were here, um, that's a joke. Um, when, when, when I preached the message last week, I, I talked about how uh, I, I don't have a lot of love for the fair. Y'all remember that? And, and uh, I, I, I talked about the fair and how it wasn't my favorite place in the world. Um, and, and here's the, the funny thing, the irony of the thing and the crazy thing about um, God and his humor is I found myself on Monday, the first night of the fair there at 5.30. It opened at six. We witnessed the ribbon cutting of the fair as they opened the fair for the week. And I thought how humorous and how God has used my wife to do something, uh, you know, to make me uh, just hope that no one else sees me, right? Because I'm there when they're cutting the ribbon. I mean, we're like fifth in line or something. I mean, it was crazy. I'm like, how crazy is, is this, right? And, and yet when I walked around that fair, I see people, all kinds of people, just from all different walks of life. And the question that I have in those times and in those moments is, where are they at with Christ? Where, where are they? They have a clue about the love of God. They have a clue about what God's done for them. They have a clue about the power of God that can transform their hearts and their lives. Are we dependent on the power of God to transform people? Has God transformed us because see all those faces that I would see and, and when I go through town and Highway 80 is just backed up with traffic and cars after cars and you can't hardly get through the red light before it changes again and, and the thing that I look at in that is how many people there are who need to know this and who need to experience the power of God and all of those faces they may seem obscure to us but they're not obscure to God he knows everyone. And, and his desire is that they would know him. His desire is that they would meet him. And see, throughout this church is, is history. This is what we have been here for. And we're not going to change this now. But you're called, and this is your church, to be a part of that. To be a part of reaching those people be a part of inviting and bringing and investing in those that maybe no one else wants, no one else believes in, no one else would give the time of day to. And are we willing and able, because of what God's done in us, to do that? So we've had stories. I talked with someone this week who said that in their past, they, they had a lot of sexual abuse in their past. And they said that one day they came to the front at an invitation and they said they laid that down at 
the altar at the front and they said since that time that they got up and they walked out of this place, they haven't dealt with that condemnation and, and that guilt and that shame of, of that sexual abuse again. It was a transformation. It was the power of God. Are we dependent on that power? I talked with another guy the other day who said this. He said that he came here for one reason and one reason only, and it was to find something wrong. That's the thing I realize every week when, when I stand up here, there are people who are listening who all they want to do is find something wrong. But the reality for this guy is when he walked in, all he experienced and all he felt was the love of God. And this man ends up coming to Christ, getting baptized, giving his heart to Christ, being transformed by the gospel so that now he's a leader in our church. I constantly, it's almost weekly, that I talk to a college student or I hear about another college student whose heart's been set on fire for God and they feel a call to ministry and they've said yes to that ministry. And God's gonna use them in the future because of what he's done through this church, what he's done through us. I'm not bragging on us. I'm telling you, if we're dependent on the power of God, this is what happens. If we'll trust him to do this, it begins to happen. I've seen men step up to be the spiritual leaders of their home right position that they should hold as leading their family closer to Jesus. It happens because of the power of God. Are we still leaning on that? Are we still trusting in that? Has your heart been transformed by that power? Have you given yourself to Him fully and completely? Is He working in you so He can work through you? Is He the center of your worship? Are we going to be this church that realizes that God's love and His grace reaches to those who maybe no one else wants. We're gonna be a church that doesn't become religious, but that stays in pursuit of Jesus. We're gonna be a church that is constantly going and, and has a heart for the broken, that realizes we're not finished. We're not done. We're not gonna build a building and come in here and get stagnant. I can tell you, I'm not signed up for that. We're gonna be a church that is dependent on God's power and calls on His power and prays for His power, prays for Him to work. Because that's who we're called to be. We're gonna close and before we do, here's the thing. Maybe that in this you realize my heart's never been for Him. He's never had my heart. But today you feel the Lord calling you to that. You feel the Lord calling you to a relationship with Him something that's real, not something religious, where it's just rules without a relationship, but a relationship with God, and you've never had that before. You've never given your life to Him. you never come to that place of salvation, but today you recognize that, and, and you feel the Lord tugging on your heart, knocking on the door of your heart, then my suggestion, my encouragement is to open the door and say yes to His invitation to salvation and a relationship. And if you're here today and you haven't done that, you haven't given your life to Him, but today is the day that God, you feel Him pulling on your heart. Maybe you've been running from this for a while, but today's the day you finally surrender. This is what I want you to do. I want you to stick your hand up high and I want you to let us celebrate with you. Salvation has come to you today. Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. 
being surrendered to God and God's salvation and righteousness coming to you. Is that you today? That God is bringing you to that point, that point of surrender. last thing I want to do is I want to encourage you. Maybe you realize that there's areas of your life that aren't surrendered. Maybe there's something you just need prayer for, something you need to pray about. And I'm going to pray. And as I pray, you can come forward and you can spend some time here. Our prayer team will be here to pray with you like we do all the time. Just, just come and, and let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. Let us help you take next steps. Let us help you discern what those next steps are. Whatever that is, I'm going to invite you to come as I pray and then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. God, thank you for your heart for us, your love for us. Thank you, God, that we're not obscure to you, that you know us, you love us, you've called us, you, you have a heart for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and his work in our lives. God, continue to challenge us as we go out of here. Let's not settle for what has been or what even could be or or, or some false aspiration of who we are, but let us press on ahead to attain the prize for which you've called us, to do the things that you've called us to do, to be a part of this, this, this group called the church, this body called the church, these people called the church, and to do your work and to do your will, God. Let us be faithful to that. Let us be obedient to that. Let us not settle in that, but let us do everything that you have in mind, God. Not what's in our mind, not what's in our heart, not what our desires are, but what you desire. Let us be people who pursue you with all that we have, who give all that we have to make you known to those who are far from you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. I hope you have an awesome week.